This morning, we continue our Christmas series, He is Here, looking at how Jesus with us changes everything. Last week, we heard Jay speak about the incarnation, that is, Emmanuel, God with us, and that when Jesus came, he came to be the Son of God and at the same time, man. And so today, as we we look at his word, we're going to be looking at the word anticipation. Now, let me ask you a question. When you hear the word anticipation, what comes into your mind? For me, the first thing I thought about was going way back, Carly Simon, singer-songwriter, had a song called Anticipation. So that's been ringing in my ears. But not only that, they made a commercial using that song for Heinz ketchup in which they were pouring that bottle slowly and the person was waiting for the ketchup to come out and in the background was that song, Anticipation. It's making me wait. When I think of anticipation, I also think about some of the emotions that we feel because anticipation is really that emotion of having that expectancy that something good is about to happen. I think about times in which I would come into the house when I was younger and there was the smell of the roast in the house and we weren't going to be eating for a couple of hours and you smell that roast and what are you thinking? You're anticipating what it's going to taste like. That's anticipation. So when I think about anticipation at Christmas... The first thing that comes into my mind is the fact that children at the Christmas season, and maybe for some of us adults, that anticipation begins to grow the moment we begin to see the Christmas lights go up or the commercials come on TV about Christmas time. And suddenly there's this anticipation. We're counting down the days. And for a child, they're counting down the days with great expectation for that morning, Christmas morning, that's how it was for us, that you would go downstairs and under the tree would be the gifts and you'd be able to not only see the gifts, but you'd be able to open the gifts. Anticipation. One of my greatest memories as a child at Christmas was that Christmas morning where my sister and I came down uh, to the tree with my parents and under the tree was a pair of brand new bicycles. Now I was quite young. I can't remember the age at that time, but I do remember seeing that bicycle and just going wild. It was a bike that had, well, it had one of those banana seats, and it had the stingray handlebars, and it had the sissy bar in the back. And I know what I did immediately was, in my excitement, I went and I grabbed a baseball card, and, and I went and took on the fork of the, of the bike, connected that baseball card, so when the wheels spun, the, the card hit the spokes, and you could hear the sound of... That was an exciting, exciting Christmas. And I know that I was filled with anticipation going into it. And my parents blew me away with what they gave me. There's something about what happens in the eyes of a child on Christmas morning when they can see the gifts and get to open the gifts. Anticipation. And as I said, that's that excitement that you feel when you know something good is about to happen. Well, when we think of Christmas past, when we think about Jesus coming, there was a lot of excitement at that time. There was a lot of anticipation at that time. The Holy Spirit was busy at work doing some things, and God was getting busy getting things prepared and done for his son to come. I think of about around the time of Christ's birth, there was Elizabeth. Elizabeth, of course, was a close relative of Mary's, and she had just found out 
that she was about to have a baby. Now her husband, Zechariah, had had a visit from the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel told him, listen, your wife, and by the way, she was quite old in age, and and it says that she was barren. He's told her, your wife's going to have a baby. Elizabeth's going to have a baby. And you are to call him John. And of course, Zechariah, when he heard this news, uh, I think he was filled with fear, maybe some anticipation. But when he heard this news, he immediately doubted and questioned the angel who then made it that John or, or that Zechariah could not speak until the baby was born and named. And so her baby was born nine months later after she was pregnant. And they did what the angel said. They named him John. In fact, Zechariah at that time couldn't speak those words. So what he did on, on, on a scroll is he wrote down, his name will be John. And as soon as he did that, he had his voice back. Well, I can only imagine for Elizabeth, who it says was well along in years and, and, ha- and was barren, she'd never had any children, the anticipation that she had at that time. Well, there was also Mary. And of course, we know Mary and Joseph having baby Jesus. She also had received a message from and had a meeting with the angel Gabriel who told her she was going to have a baby. And of course, course, the baby coming was going to be Jesus. But the, the factor that made it so unique was the fact that she was a virgin. And she had her baby Jesus, as the angel had said. And I am sure going into that moment, there was great anticipation. Then there's Joseph who at that time was about to become a dad. I'm sure he was, well, not really a dad. But he was filled with the anticipation of his baby arriving, and it was Jesus. Well, at that time, not only was the excitement and and anticipation about the birth of John the Baptist, who that was who John was, or Jesus is coming into the world, which we read about in his word. But there was another kind of anticipation that was happening in Israel around that time. And in fact, in Jerusalem. In fact, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read some scriptures with us today in which we're going to see that anticipation that I'm speaking about that was present at that time. As you turn to Luke chapter 2, you'll notice in the first seven verses, we've read this so many times in the past, and you can read it again, but it's in the first seven verses, is the description of the birth of Jesus. It's followed by the description of when the shepherds came from verses 8 to 20, and then the angels came, rejoicing that, that the newborn king was coming. And then, of course, we know that Jesus arrived. In, in the passage I'm going to read, Jesus was being brought to the temple. He had, had been born 40 days earlier, and Mary and Joseph were bringing him to the temple as the word of God in the Old Testament had des- described for them to do, that he was to be presented to the Lord, and at that point, present offering of a pair of turtle doves or maybe a couple of pigeons as a sacrifice unto God. It was during this time that we're going to meet a couple of people who had the anticipation that I was talking about. The first was Simeon and then Anna. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and on, we're going to read, first of all, about Simeon. And the thing about Simeon and Anna is they were anticipating something that I want to highlight for us today. Verse 25, it tells us Simeon about him. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. 
He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. This passage tells us that this man, Simeon, was a righteous man. He was a devout man. And he was anticipating something. He was waiting for something to happen. And like many at that time, they were waiting for, they were anticipating the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise that God would send the Messiah, the Christ. And so it tells us here that he was waiting for this to happen. And I think it's so exciting to hear that the Holy Spirit had even told him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Well, verse 27, it begins to tell us what happened. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents, that would be Mary and Joseph, brought the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of, that the law required, and that was the sacrifices and presenting him to God. Look what it says. Simeon, verse 28, took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. His anticipation had been fulfilled when he saw Jesus the Messiah, the Christ. And he even said, Lord, you can now take me because my eyes have beheld the one you promised. That was Simeon. But while this was happening, there was a prophetess named Anna. She was an elderly woman. And, and from verse 37 on, it tells us a little bit about Anna. She never left the temple, it says, but worshiped God night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them, Mary, Joseph, and, and Simeon. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She sees this child as she comes to them, and she begins to share with everyone that she knew that were like her and were like Simeon, and they were anticipating and looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and she began to share with them about this child, Jesus, because he was the one they were anticipating. He was the promised Messiah. Did you know that there are over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament alone about the coming of the Messiah, the Christ? Jesus perfectly fulfilled every one of those promises when he came. Let me show you a couple of them, and they're very familiar for us at Christmas. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we see one of those prophecies that came to pass. Verse 14 of Isaiah says, Isaiah 7 says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. There was going to be a sign, and here's what it was. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. And as we've known and talked about, that means God with us. How specific and how wonderful to see that they were waiting for this one to come and he was going to be conceived from a virgin. He was going to be born from a virgin and he would be called 
Emmanuel. That was Jesus. This is what they were looking for. In Isaiah chapter 9, just a couple of chapters later, we see verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then a couple of verses later, that familiar passage, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus came to a people that were walking in darkness, and they saw in him our Savior, a great light. These are just, as I said, two passages out of over 400 that talk about the coming Messiah. And so there's Simeon, there's Anna. They are waiting. They are expecting for the coming of the Messiah as promised. She even was in the, in the temple praying day and night, fasting until she would see this. And then he arrived. And what does it say? They rejoiced. The anticipation of the Messiah was finally fulfilled when Jesus came. Well, let me ask you this. What difference then should it make to you and I that Jesus, God with us, was born on Christmas? We heard about the fact that he was Emmanuel, God with us, but what difference should it make for you and I? Well, here it is. Just as Jesus was God with us, incarnate in the flesh, we can now know and experience a changing relationship with God now, a life-changing relationship with him, not just when he arrived and stayed and was around for 33 years, but now we can experience him. Not only was he with us, but he is here, and he is here now with us. The gospel message, the good news that Jesus came to preach was really basically wrapped up in these words, that God loves us and created us to know him. Well, how does that happen? It all has to do with Jesus. Because it happens that we can know him through Jesus in the fact that he came to save us. He came to make us new and newborn people when we had relationship with him. God sent his son Jesus to deal with the sin problem and that therefore we could be redeemed, we could be saved, we could be born again because of him. In fact, in Romans 10 verse 9, I love this passage, it just kind of sums it up. It said, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, in dying on the cross and raising up again three days later, paid the price for our sins. And we can know now that we are in relationship with God as believers because of the work that he did. But also through Jesus, for those of us who believe, not only are our sins forgiven and we know we're on our way to heaven, through Jesus, we can then have a day in and day out relationship with the living God, with God Almighty. So we, we receive not only forgiveness of sins, but now we have the anticipation in that relationship with God 
of being able to be in a day in and day out relationship with him, that we can know him, that we can know his presence, that we can live in that dimension. And so today I want to talk about that and see what it looks like just a little bit, that we can then anticipate knowing that he is with us, knowing the good news of the gospel has changed us and makes an entire difference in the life we live and who we are. And so what does that look like? Well, I want you to turn also then to another passage of scripture. And we're going we're gonna to rest here for a while in Psalm 139. Because 139, the Psalm 139, gives us a wonderful indication of God's heart towards us when it comes to that relationship we have through Christ. David wrote this Psalm 139. And as I said, please turn there. And David understood what it was to be close to God. He, got, he knew what it was to know him. David knew what it was that the Lord was with him in all of his life's experiences. And in fact, David throughout the Psalms writes words about the fact that because God was with him, he could handle and deal with all the situations he dealt with in life. I love the 23rd Psalm. We all know it so well. And there's that middle part in it, after the Lord is my shepherd, in which he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And he tells us why. Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And he's able to declare that in his most difficult times of life, in those times where there's uncertainty all around him, and we don't know what it was in, in the 23rd Psalm, he was able to declare, I can go forward anticipating your presence and knowing you are with me. And you know what? As believers in Jesus Christ, we can know that close relationship as well. We can anticipate God's presence, his supply, his being with us, both during those times that are wonderful and those times that are difficult. So let's turn there, Psalm 139, and I want us to begin to listen to what the psalmist wrote. I'm going to be reading these words, and and you may have it in front of you, may have a different version, but that's all right. But I want you to catch the spirit of the words that David spoke, because David knew what it was to be close to God and to have God close to him. The first thing we see out of Psalm 139 is this, that David declares how God knows us intimately. Listen to these words. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You discern my, or my going out and lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Do you hear the words that he speaks here? He begins to speak to the Lord in this psalm, and he begins to describe the fact that You, Lord, not you up there, but you, Lord, you've searched me. 
and, and I've highlighted in my Bible the amount of times that the word about the Lord there, he is personally referring to him as you, Lord. You have searched my heart. You know me. You know when I sit. You know my thoughts. You are there with me when I lie down or you're familiar with all of my ways. And David was declaring something that we need to grasp so importantly that God not only loves us, but he knows us and he still loves us. And those of us who have relationship with him, he desires that we would have that intimacy because God knows us intimately and he desires that we would know him intimately. And such beautiful words that David just shared. But he goes on to say, not only does God know us intimately, God is always with us. Listen to his words again, beginning in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He is present. He is present with us no matter what we're dealing with. And if you think about it, that means so much for us, knowing that he is there. He is not just some power in the sky, some force to be reckoned with. But he's a God that not only knows us intimately, but is with us always. Think about the difference that can make for you and I. When we walk through the rough times, just knowing that he is there. When you go to bed at night and fall asleep, he is there with you all night. If you wake up in the middle of the night and you've had a dream that disturbs you, He is there. And he just says, just whisper my name because I am with you. No matter where we go, no matter what our circumstances, it means for us that our God knows us, he loves us, and he is present with us. One of the great encouragements I would give to you today is knowing this, recognizing this, how important it is that we then would begin to address that in our own lives. And what I mean by that is acknowledge his presence. Maybe when we get up in the morning, the first thing we do instead of what we normally would do is to say, good morning, Lord. Thank you for a great night's sleep. Good morning, Lord. I look forward to the day ahead of me. Or maybe I'm, thre- I'm, I'm fearful of the day ahead of me, but I need you there with me. Oh, isn't it so good to know God is with us always. The third thing I see in this passage in in Psalm 139 is not only does he know us intimately and is he there with us all the time, but his hand is in our lives continually. He is involved. He isn't out there away from us that we have to yell for his attention. He is with us. He's as close as the mention of his name. And when things happen in our lives, He's not surprised. Listen to how close he is to us and the fact that he has been with us from the time we were born and he will be with us and guide our lives from the time we die. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and when I was woven together into the, oh, into the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This God who created the heavens and the earth, God Almighty, who's all-powerful, he, the creator of the earth, made us, and he has his hands on our life. There's something very warming and important to me to know from the time that I was conceived until the day I die that God is with me and he will have his hand in my life and that I'm not on my own, but God has his hand guiding and leading me. Oh, that we would just turn to him and say, God, guide me, lead me. I need you because he is there and he wants to do that. The fourth thing I see in this passage is the fact that not only all these things that we've seen, and isn't it a beautiful thought that we see with with David as he speaks about who God is, but the, the fourth thought is that God loves us and he loves us tenderly. Think about this for a moment. God thinks about you. He thinks about me. There are billions of people on this planet And God knows them, and he thinks about them, and he thinks about his children. Look at what the writer David said. How precious concerning me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. David is overwhelmed with the thought, and I think we ought to be too, with the thought that God thinks about me. He thinks about you, his child. And in fact, David says, I can't even count the amount of times that you think about me and your thoughts are precious, that you are with me and that you know me and that you think about me in the midst of all the numbers. Boy, what a beautiful Beautiful thought that is, that he thinks about me and you. Well, David then kind of complains for a bit. I'm not going to look at that, but he kind of goes off on on a tangent here where he begins begins to complain about his enemies and those that treat him poorly. And it's funny because then he finally turns back to God. And he says, God then leads us in his Ways. That's the final thing he says in this, in this chapter. And listen to what he writes. Search me, verse 23, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense or if, if any offense, offensive way is in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's interesting this Chapter starts with him saying, you have searched me. And then he begins to describe all the beautiful ways of God. And at the end, he now, after he gets frustrated, have you ever gotten frustrated? He gets frustrated and then suddenly he turns back to God and says, God, search me. Search my heart. Know my heart, oh God. 
test me and know my anxious thoughts because he knew he had those thoughts. We just read them if you go back and look at that. And he says, if there's anything that's offensive to you, Lord, in me, I'm inviting you to lead me into your way everlasting. These are beautiful words of a relationship that that David had with God. And as we think of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and that the truth is that God loves us and he created us to know him, we then can have this wonderful anticipation in our hearts that we're not alone, no matter what we're walking through. We're not alone, no matter what trials have come our way. We're not alone, no matter what is happening that confuses us. The truth is that God knows us. He loves us. And he came and he saved us from being lost, but he also opened a way for you and I to have a dynamic relationship with him. We can also see that the Lord is calling us to to live that life in relationship with him. He is our good and loving heavenly father who is with us even now. Isn't that a beautiful thought? He loves us. He desires to have relationship with us. And we can with expectation know that he will be with us. I want to close in prayer, and I want our our thought to be this. Wherever your relationship is with God right now, God desires that you would know him and that you would love him. And that's why Jesus came. And I want to encourage you, if you have never given your life to him, you can give your life to him and say, Lord, I believe. And I want to walk not only with my sins forgiven, which is a good thing, but I want to walk in that closeness I just heard, read about, that David had and that we can have with you. And so my prayer will be, Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, that we we might walk in that way with you. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us and thank you that you desire to have intimate relationship with us. I pray that you would open our eyes, God, that we might see that you are with us even today. You are around us in all that we do. And we can take great joy in knowing we are not alone. I pray that not only would our eyes be open to that truth, but would our hearts be open, that we might not only know your loving presence we just read about, but that we would walk aware of your presence, close to you through all of life's challenges, all of life's busyness, and especially this Christmas season, that in the midst of all this, we may know your peace and your presence with us. Thank you that we can have that expectation in our heart because that's what you've promised. And I ask God that you would accomplish this in each one of us And I ask it in Christ's name, amen.